lesson here in the book of Jude. Father, as we study this little passage here today in Jude, uh, Lord, just help us to learn from this study, not to fall into the trap that a lot of people have fallen into. A lot of people who call themselves Christians, Lord, but, but really treat you only as a God of convenience, a God who comes running at uh, their bidding, Lord, and and uh, uh, Lord, we know that uh, you're so much more than that. You're so much more than someone just who meets our needs, Lord, that, that you're a God who wants to change us into the image, the very image of your Son, that you want to deal with our sin problem so that you can bless us, Lord, so that we can live forever with you. And, and, and Lord, we know that all of that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, and there's so many p- teachers out there today that are knowing those great truths and, and treating you as some sort of genie or something, Lord. So we, we want to learn from this. We want to be convicted by this to, to seek you on your terms and, and to understand that, that we're your servants, you're not our servant. And so, Lord, I just ask that you bless this study uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. After 9-11, you probably, if you watched the news, heard uh, some of these newsmen asking the same question I heard over and over again. Where was God when this event happened? I mean, where was God? How could he let that happen? And I remember answering that in my own mind. And basically, my answer to that question is that God was exactly where we wanted him to be out of sight and out of mind. As a nation, as the United States of America has done everything that we can to get God out of the public place and to replace Christianity with some, a form of secular humanism where, where God is, is only there to bless us. We sing God bless America and we want the blessings of God, but we don't want the God who gives us those blessings. And so we treat God as sort of a God of convenience, like a little genie that we carry around in a bottle, and whenever he doesn't do things our way, we cast the bottle away. I was told a joke the other day about uh, uh, this lady who was walking on the beach, and she found this little bottle, and she picked the bottle up, and sure enough, there was a genie inside, and he popped out, and he granted her three wishes. But he granted her those wishes on the condition that whatever she got, her husband got double. Well, it just so happened she was divorced from her husband, and he had left her and married another woman, so she didn't like her husband very much. And she didn't want to see her husband blessed, but she wanted the blessings. And so she, her first wish, she asked for a million dollars, and poof, there was a million dollars. And poof, there her husband had two million dollars. Then she asked for the finest house in town, and poof, she had the finest house in town. And poof, her husband had two of the finest houses in town. And then, boy, this was killing her. She was getting all of this stuff, but her husband was getting doubled, her ex-husband. And so she figured out, what am I going to do on this third wish? So the genie said, what's your third wish? She says, I wish that you would scare me half to death. (laughs) John's getting it now. (laughs) I don't want to tell you that it was Diane that told me this joke. (laughs) I'm teasing. 
She didn't tell me this joke. But the reason I even say, mention that is because I believe a lot of us treat God as if he's some sort of genie. And let me warn you, if God is nothing more to you than a God of convenience, then more than likely you aren't really even saved. And there are so many false teachers and false Christians out there uh, today who believe that. They treat God as some kind of God who's there to serve them, strictly to make their life better. I was listening to a testimony the other day of a young man in a foreign country who was living in poverty, and he got saved by watching some movie that this particular organization was showing. And uh, when they interviewed him, everybody was all excited. He said, yeah, I gave my life to the Lord because the Lord's going to make my life better. And what he meant by better wasn't the Lord was going to take care of his sin problem so that he could live in a relationship with the Lord and so that he could have eternal life. What he was thinking of, somehow the Lord was going to lift him out of poverty, and that's what he was being taught. And what he was being taught was what I would call a gospel of convenience with a God of convenience. And that's not the gospel. And that's not the God who we serve. But that's why there are so many false teachers out there that are so popular because they tickle people's ears. They tell people, they promise them all the goodies that they can get if they give their life to the Lord while making light or ignoring the sin problem that we all have. And in doing so, they keep them from having a meaningful relationship with the Lord. So what Jude is doing in this book, he is warning us about these people and uh, so what we want to do today is go back to his warning and let's pick up down in verse number 12. The book of Jude, verse number 12. And listen to what he says about these people. He says, these are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. So he uses a series of metaphors here to describe these false teachers and these false believers. And listen to what he says. The first one he says, they are spots in your love feast. The word spot there really better, it better translates hidden rocks and what the author was speaking of, what Jude was speaking of, are these rocks that are hidden under the surface of the sea that can sink a ship and if, if they aren't mapped out. And so what Jude's going to do for us, he's going to map out these people who can come in and actually destroy your faith and destroy the church. And so he gives us these series of metaphors. And the first one that he says here, he says, there are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear. Well, in the early church, what they did when they had communion, before they had communion, they had a love feast. They, everybody brought a meal, and they all ate, and they fellowshiped together, kind of like what we would, you know, kind of like our potluck suppers that we do every once in a while. But they did it all the time. They did it, they did it every week. But there were some people who only came there to fill their bellies. That was their whole purpose. They didn't come to, to worship the Lord. They didn't come to praise the Lord. They didn't come to learn about the Lord. They didn't come in fear to take the communion. They came to get their bellies full. And so 
they, they weren't there to fear the Lord and ponder his shed blood and his broken body. So they feast without fear. And here's why they feast without fear. Look at this verse. Because they serve only themselves. Listen to that. They serve only themselves. You know, there's a lot of people in the church, a lot of people who call themselves Christians who serve only themselves. They have no concern about serving others. They have no concern about serving the Lord. For them, uh, God is a God of convenience, and the church is a place of convenience. It's a place where they come in order to get their needs met. And they have no concern for meeting the needs of God or meeting the needs of others. And I'll tell you what, the church is full of people like that. And we all ought to take inventory of where we're at. If all you see God as is a God who serves you and gets you what you want, and you have no concern for serving others or serving the Lord, then there's a good chance that you're not even born again. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that to wake up. And and you don't turn around and you don't say, well, okay, in order to be a good Christian, I'm going to start serving people. No, you need to take inventory of where you're at. If you have no heart to serve other people, if all you're about is serving yourself, you're probably not born again. All right, then look at what he says next. He says they are dark clouds without water, carried about by the wind. Now, that illustration doesn't work well in Louisiana because there's no such thing as a dark cloud without water. Because you can have a little cloud in Louisiana and, it could, and the sun can be shining and it can dump an inch of rain. But in an arid climate like Israel, and where Jude was, that was the case. Sometimes a storm would come up and you would get these heavy winds and you would have the thunder and lightning and you would have these very dark clouds and you wouldn't get a drop of rain. They would just blow right away. Well, Jude uses that as a metaphor of false teachers who have all of this puff, uh, may make all of this noise, but they have no substance. And instead of providing showers of blessing, they only provide empty words of human wisdom. And then whatever wind blows, whatever change there is, however theology is evolving, they just pick up right with that, and that's what they're going to teach. But, but they, you're never going to be blessed by somebody like that because they're carried about by every wind and they produce no rain. And then look at the next metaphor he uses right here. He says they are like autumn trees without fruit, twice de- dead, pulled up by the roots. Now, when autumn comes, that's when the tree bears fruit. And then the leaves die and, and the tree goes dormant. And so you've, it's dead once. Well, if a tree, if a farmer's got a tree and the tree comes to winter and it's produced no fruit, it's not going to ever produce any fruit. So what does he do? He pulls it up by the roots. So Jude is speaking of the judgment that is waiting false believers and false teachers. At some point, you're going to end your life and you're going to die. And you're going to shed this old body like like old leaves on a tree. And then God's going to look at you and have you borne any fruit? And again, you don't produce fruit to get saved. You produce fruit because you're saved. But if you're not, if you haven't borne any fruit, that means you're not born again. And if you're not born again, then you're going to be pulled up again and you're going to face the second death at the judgment. That's the picture that he's given us here. Then in 13, he picks up on some more 
metaphors. Listen to what he says. They're like raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You know, it, it really interests me in the, and I mean, it's not something I'm longing for because I'm not heading there. But the descriptions that the Bible gives about hell. Hell, when you think of hell, you think of fire. But the fires in hell don't produce any light. It's a place of reserve for the blackness of darkness for a couple of years, for a thousand years, for 10,000 years, for a billion years, for a trillion years. How long? Longer than that? Forever. And so here are these people who are false teachers and false Christians, and they're like raging waves of the sea. They make a lot of noise. If you've ever seen a wave, when, when you go somewhere where they have the really big waves, like on the West Coast, and, and those waves, when there's a storm out in the sea, those waves churn and they come in, they come in raging, and they leave a, this magnificent foam on the surface of the sand, and then what happens? They go back out, and what happens to that foam? It immediately dissipates. And that's the picture of Christians and false teachers, or false Christians and false teachers, who have all of this, make all of this noise, and, and uh, they, they seem to be, doing something, but what they do it quickly dissipates and uh, it's gone forever and they bear no fruit. Look, look what else he says. They're like wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, wandering stars, you can better translate that shooting stars. Have you been, ever been out on a dark night and seen a a shower, a meteor shower, these shooting stars out in the sky. What a beautiful sight. What a beautiful sight. I mean, all of this grandeur in the sky. But you know all that is? Those are little rocks that are entering our uh, atmosphere, and they're coming at a speed so fast that they're burning up and they're making this light. And so you have this meteor shower. But where do they end up? They end up black and dark forever, never to live again. And so he's given us this picture here of Christians, of false Christians and false teachers who, who have all of, make all of this light and all of the, they're on fire for a while and then uh, they burn themselves out and their faith vaporizes. I mean, it just vaporizes. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've run into people who have gone off to some Christian camp or some Christian concert or some Christian conference and they've come back and then they're on fire. They're on fire. And you think, wow, what a beautiful blazing star that is. But it only lasts for a few weeks or a few months and then they go back to their ungodly ways and they're no different from these shooting stars. We want to be more than a shooting star. The Bible speaks of of the saints, of those who do things for the Lord, like being like the stars in heaven that last forever, not shooting stars that vaporize and end up in the blackness of darkness forever. Then he takes a little detour here to kind of encourage us here. He says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, so we know which Enoch that is. Which Enoch was that? That was the Enoch who walked with God and was no more. I mean, all of a sudden he was walking with God one day, and he was in heaven. He didn't even have to die. Wouldn't it be great? Enoch is a picture of the rapture. He's a picture of you and I. 
one day you're going to be walking with God and maybe the Lord's going to come and the trumpet's going to blow and we're going to be with the Lord. So he says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, these false teachers and false believers, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands, with ten thousands of his saints. Now that's an interesting number. It's interesting to me because it kind of matches up with the numbers over in Revelation and it's a limited number. You know, when we think of the saints, we think of man is just going to be billions and billions and billions and billions of saints. I, I don't think so. There is a limited number. There's going to be tens of thousands that are going to come with the Lord. All of the saints are going to come with him. So, so there's a limited number. Hopefully you and I are in that number. And look what they're coming for. To execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly. Now who's going to do the execution of the judgment? Are we going to do that? No. We talked about that Wednesday night when when Obadiah talked about this very event, uh, and we went over to, to Revelation chapter 19. No, the Lord's going to do all the, all the talking. He's going to say one word, and all the, or his enemies are going to be gone. And so, but we're going to come with the saints to execute judgment on all. I mean, we're going to come with the Lord. The saints are going to come with the Lord to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds. Now, we all have done ungodly deeds, haven't we? But you're not going to be convicted because you're going to be with the Lord because you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been paid for forever. So this is for those who are not truly born again. Those who call themselves Christians or those who are Buddhist or whatever, Muslims or whatever, they're going to be convicted of all their ungodly deeds. And, and among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things. Watch this. Of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord. You hear that maybe a little bit in our society today? And you wonder, why does the Lord allow that to go on? He's not going to allow it to go on forever. That's the encouragement that Jude has given us right here. Now, this is a really interesting passage because if you remember in the introduction, I told you that Jude took this more than likely. It's a direct quote out of the little apocryphal book called the Book of Enoch. And that's an interesting book because if you ever study church history, and I talk about where you go and read some of the writings of the so-called church fathers, almost every one of those church fathers from the second century on talk about the little Book of Enoch. They quote from the little Book of Enoch. So it wasn't an unknown book in the first century. And apparently Jude used that book. Now we actually didn't find a full copy of the book of Enoch until 1733. And I think it's one of the, and I, again, don't, don't write me a note and say, you better not be preaching from the Apocrypha. I'm not preaching from the Apocrypha. I'm telling you where Jude got this. And that's really, a, it's amazing to me that he would get something out of something we consider apocryphal. But he went and he got, he, he got this quote, and the little book is, is about uh, prophecies that were given to Noah and Enoch about the end times. And basically in the book, what, what uh, Enoch does, he, he vindicates God for, uh, to all of those people who are questioning why does God allow things to go on and on in such an, with such uh, blatant sin and murder and rape and all the things that he allowed. Why does, and all these blasphemies against the Lord, why does he allow that to go on? And the reason he, 
he allows it to go on. We're not given in the book of Enoch, but we're, we're told the end game. We're told that in the end, God is going to make all things right. And the way he's going to make all things right, he's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. Really, what the book of Enoch, and it's absolutely amazing to me, it was written 6,000 years ago. What he's prophesying, he's prophesying the revelation. And, and so Jude quotes that, that prophecy there. And then he says, uh, uh, I mean, going back to the little text there, he says, uh, now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesying, about these men who also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of the saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. So one day God is going to get his justice. And that's the message of the book of Enoch, and that's a message that, that Jude's given us right here, right in, in the, as an interlude in between uh, all of these uh, descriptions of false teachers and false believers, he says, look, hey, there's a lot of them out there. They're getting worse and worse, but the Lord's on his way, and he's going to end all of this. Now, the amazing thing to me, how could Enoch, Enoch, who the seventh from Adam, know God's plan for the end? I mean, how could he know that? How could he know that? Well, let me show you. Go over to the book of Acts passage we looked at on Wednesday night a few weeks back. Look at Acts chapter 15. And they're at the Jerusalem Council. And in Acts chapter 15, look down, look down at verse number 18. I'm, I'm not going to read you. He quotes from the book of Amos and then and then he makes this statement, this amazing statement in verse number 18. I, I, I love what he says here because I don't just believe this applies to history, it applies to me. Listen to what he says. He says, known to God from eternity are what? Some of his works? All of his works. All of his works in this world. All of his works in the, with the nations, all of his works with every single one of his children. From eternity, from eternity, I want you to just grasp that for a minute. From eternity, he knew those who would be his. He chose those who would choose him. And he knew that. And all of eternity, he has orchestrated for you to be exactly where you are right now in the position that you're in. And he's orchestrated the rest of your future forever. He's already orchestrated. Before he even created the earth, he knew that there would be an Adam and Eve. He knew that Adam and Eve would fall. He knew that he would curse the earth. And he knew that he would begin a, the process of redeeming the earth. He knew that from Abraham he would raise up a nation, and from that nation would come a Messiah who would save the world. And he knew that that Messiah would come and that that Messiah would, would uh, die on the cross for all of our sins. And he knew that, the, that Jesus would establish his church. And he knew that in his church there would be these false teachers and false Christians. And he knew that the church would get worse and worse and it would become more and more apostate. He knew all of this from the foundation of the world. He knew all of it. He's not surprised. And he knows the end. 
He's seen the end. And what's the end? Jude just told us that the Lord is coming with his saints to execute judgment on those who are ungodly, on those who are sinners, on those who are not real, on those who don't have real faith, on those who have spoken harshly about God and continue to speak harshly about God. One day God is coming to convict the whole world of their unrighteousness and establish his righteousness and justice on this earth forever and ever. Amen. That's some good news right there. And he know, he's known that. He's known how he's going to do that. All his works are known by him from eternity. So now Jude goes back in verse number 16, and he goes back to mapping out these apostates for us. And look what he says in verse number 16. Back to the book of Jude. He says in verse number 16, these are grumblers, complainers. You ever grumble and complain against the Lord? Better watch that. These are grumblers. Let me tell you something. You can measure where you're at with the Lord by how much you praise the Lord versus how much you grumble and complain against the Lord. If every time something bad happens to you, you complain against the Lord, you understand what the Lord is to you. The Lord is nothing more than a God of convenience. You like him when things are going good. You don't like him when things are going bad. And so these people are grumblers and complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words flattering people to gain advantage. Now, I believe the two best ways that you can spot a false Christian are right here, right at the first of this verse. They're grumblers and complainers. They don't praise the Lord for anything. They have no gratitude for what they have. They grumble and complain. We didn't give them what they want. And they walk according to to their own lust. They walk simply to please themselves. It goes back to one of the characteristics he gave us a while ago. They don't serve anybody but themselves. So they're grumblers and complainers. And it, it's kind of like America on 9-11. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who really don't want God involved in their life at all other than to give them the goodies that they want. And then when they don't give him the goodies that they want, he doesn't take care of their health, he doesn't take care of their wealth, he doesn't take care of their material prosperity. If he doesn't do that, then they toss him aside and they say, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. I heard a testimony or heard a story the other day. Somebody was telling about somebody I knew uh, who was their relative who had turned his back on Christianity because one of his siblings had died a terrible death from a debilitating disease. And I can understand you being angry at God. I've been angry at God. I remember that story when I was reading about Luther when I was in seminary where some young man came up to Luther and he said, Luther, I want to love God like you love God. And Luther said back to that young man, he said, love him, sometimes I hate him. Well, sometimes I hate God too. Sometimes God's tough on us, and sometimes we don't understand that, and sometimes it doesn't make sense what God's doing in our lives, and so sometimes it's, there's, there's, it's okay every once in a while to get mad at God. 
But this particular person said, you know what, I'm going to walk away from my faith. And, and this, this person that this woman was telling me about was, was somebody that I knew, and I know that that person, in my opinion, never really had a real relationship with the Lord. He went to church on occasion, but that was about it. But he, all he did was give the Lord a little bit of lip service every once in a while and call himself a Christian. But then when the God he didn't want to be part of his life didn't show up when there was trouble in his life, then he just walked away totally from Christianity. Don't you see the hypocrisy in that? Don't you see that, you know, you don't really want God in your life until there's trouble. You really don't want God at all. And there's a lot of people like that. And they call themselves Christians, but they're not truly born again. You know, there, there's, there's so many people that say, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian as long as God does the things I want him to do. And if he doesn't, then I'm going to walk away. And what have you done when you, you, you do that? Who have you made God? You've made yourself God, not God. God, you do what I tell you to do. You serve me, and you'll be my God. Now, you know what's really funny? That's the way Jacob approached God. Jacob said, Lord, if you, you bless me, you can be my God. But there was more in that relationship than that. I think all of us kind of start out like that. But as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, we need to grow out of that. And I believe that's one of the main reasons that God tests us. We all got to be tested from time to time. Why does God test us? To show us what's in our hearts. I mean, is God our Father, our Savior, our friend, and our Lord, or is He just a God of convenience? And you can find out when, when things get really tough, when they get really tough, and I'll tell you what, the heat can get a lot worse than you've ever had it before, I've ever had it before. So don't sit there and say, well, I've had it, been through everything, and I know I'm not going to turn on the Lord. Be careful with that. God will show you. God pushes us sometimes to where we do feel like we hate him. But if we're a true born again believer, we're not going to toss away the faith that he's given us. We're not going to toss it away. We might get mad at God. But we're not going to, we're not going to run from, we might even run from God, but he's going to bring us back. Look, all of us want God to bless us spiritually and especially materially. And Sometimes when things don't go our way, we might murmur and complain like everybody else. But it's a process. There's a growth process that takes place when you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The more you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, the more you love the Lord for who he is than what he gives you. That's, that's a process. And the more you grow in that process, the more you love the Lord like that, the less and less you complain. I've got to tell you, when I was first saved, I was the biggest complainer on, on this earth. And if I'd stayed that way, then I would have been, you know, I wouldn't have made it. And I still, you might, you might hear me murmur and complain to the Lord sometimes, but for the most part, I love the Lord because of what the Lord has done for me. I want to serve the Lord because of what the Lord has done for me. We love the Lord because the Lord first loved us. And it's over a process of time that you, you, love to lo you, you learn to love the Lord like that. Then the second thing, the second thing, 
They walk according to their main lust, or to their, I'm sorry, to their own lust. They walk according to their own lust. The main philosophy of false believers isn't much different from the philosophy of this world, the Epicurean philosophy. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And so you have these people that claim to be Christians, but life for them is really all about fulfilling their lust. And God to them is some kind of genie who they use to fulfill their lust. And again, if God doesn't fulfill their lust, then they create their own God. And that's why you have idolatry. And so uh, if you could care less about uh, taking care of your sin nature, if you could care less about living righteously, if you could care less about sanctification and glorification and all of those things, if you could care less about really having a relationship with God, then you're probably not saved. If all God is, is to you is a means to fulfill your lust, then he's nothing more than a God of convenience. And if God is nothing more than a God of convenience, more than likely you aren't truly saved. And if your lusts aren't fulfilled, then you murmur and complain against God and you walk away from God. And that's exactly one of the examples that Jude gave us last week when he gave us the example of Korah. Because wasn't that exactly what happened to Korah and the Israelites out in the wilderness? I mean, as long as God was promising them the land of milk and honey, they were ready to go. But when the milk and honey didn't happen because of their unbelief, not because of God, they got mad at God. And they decided, hey, we're going to do things our own way. And so they said, we're going to get rid of Moses and Aaron. And God wouldn't have any of that, and he's destroyed them. But, but see, all they wanted, all they wanted, they wanted the milk and honey. They didn't want God. They wanted the homes and land in, in, in the promised land. They didn't want God. And when that, when that was delayed and they were tested, then it showed up, the fact that they didn't want God. They did not want God ruling over them. And so they wouldn't trust God and they were swallowed up and, and, and taken straight to Hades uh, uh, in just a moment of time. And that's why Israel, always why Israel was falling into idolatry. Because they didn't like God. You know, if you don't like God, you know what you do? You create a God of your own choosing. You create a God in the image you want God to be. That is exactly what's happened in most of America today. We, we, we worship a God who is not the God of this Bible. Oh yeah, God's okay with this sin and he's okay with that sin. No, God's not. God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. If you don't like the God of the Old Testament, you don't like the God of the New Testament. God is not evolving. He, his very name means the great I am. I am who I am. I am who I've always been for eternity. I'm never, the never changing God. He's always known everything. He's always had all power. He's always been everywhere. God does not change. And so if we change and we don't like what God's doing, that doesn't give us the right to change God into some other image. And, and, and so what did the Israelites do? They made a calf and they worshiped a calf. They called the calf Jehovah. I'm sure Jehovah was flattered by that picture. He was so flattered he was going to destroy the whole nation. 
But there's all sorts of pictures of God that aren't real. That people, And I'm not talking outside of Christianity. Obviously, the Muslim religion is, is, is of the devil. Obviously, there's a lot of religions, Buddhism and, and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons. But I'm talking about within the evangelical church. We're still trying to change God to fit our mores, to fit our lifestyle. So we can fulfill the lust of our flesh. And if this God won't allow us to fill the lust of our flesh the way we want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, then we want to create our own God. Or we, or we walk away from Christianity. Poor God, when we walk away from Christianity. That's, that's the arrogance of that. I hear people talk about, well, I walked away from God. Well, poor God. What, I bet God will never be the same. I could walk away from Christianity tomorrow, God might say, man, I'm glad to get rid of him. <laughs> uh, he's a lot of work. It is, we got this thing backwards. We serve God. God doesn't serve us. And we serve God by serving others. And if we're not willing to do that, we're deceiving ourselves. And I'm not saying you do that to get saved. It, it's you do it because you're saved. It, and, and where you want to go with this, if you don't have a heart for anybody but yourself, there's something wrong with your heart, and you want to get your heart changed. So you come to the Lord, and you come to the Lord on His terms according to His word. You say, Lord, I give my life to you according to your word. And I'm going to obey your word. So they walk according to their own lust. And here the final one, this is, this is a picture. If you, want to, if you don't want to read it, you can watch it on TV. Just turn to one of those so-called Christian television channels. This is a picture of where it ends up. A mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. You catch that? These false teachers mouth great, flattering words, flattering people to gain advantage. You know what they do? They love to tell you how wonderful you are. Y'all are all so wonderful. I just wanted you to come here today to tell you that God just lives to serve you because you're so wonderful. Nobody's, I'm, I'm kidding. You're, you're really not that wonderful. Actually, you are, because you're in Christ. I'm joking. But people are basically good. If you just treat everybody good, somebody says, I, I'm sounding like somebody, I'm, I'm not trying to on purpose. If you just treat everybody good, then you'll be good, and everything will be good, and God will give you all good things you want. And buy my tape for $39.95, and if you don't have a tape player, by faith, claim it. And God will give you a tape player today. Because God just lives to make you happy. We're going to pack them out next week. Y'all, somebody hears that. He lives to fulfill your lust. And people flock to hear such garbage. 
They flock to hear such garbage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul uses the example of the Israelites to warn us against being deceived into believing that we're saved when we're really not. You remember how many Israelites went into the desert during the Exodus? You remember how many went in? Two million is the estimate. Two million. You know how many of those came out saved of those two million? Joshua? Maybe some of his family? Caleb? Some of his family? And Moses? And some of his family? The rest of them perished in the wilderness. Lost as a goose. The reason I looked at that, showed you that number a while ago in the book of Jude, God's not in the numbers. God died on a cross for us if only one of us would receive the gospel and get saved. He didn't, the whole world's not getting saved. Most of the world's not getting saved. Does God wish the world not to get saved? No, he wishes that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. But most aren't going to get saved, and that's why in in Corinthians, Paul in the New Testament, chapter 10 of Corinthians, Paul, 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the Israelites as an example to warn us to not be deceived into thinking we're saved when we're not saved. Listen to what he says. He says, They all ate of the same spiritual food. Just like America, all people hear about the gospel. They all ate of the same spiritual food. They all drank from the same spiritual rock, which is Christ. You know that Christ, the angel of the Lord, followed them around in the wilderness. They knew all about the sacrificial system. They had the sacrificial system that pointed to Christ. If they just put their faith in that sacrificial system and entered into a relationship with the Lord, they would have been fine. But they hated God. They wouldn't have said that. But in their hearts, they murmured and complained. Listen to what he says. They murmured and complained against God. While they, and they got up every morning rising to play and, and to engage in sexual immorality. In other words, their whole life was about being entertained. They wanted to play. They wanted to... to to have sexual, strange sexual flesh or pleasure. And when they, get, when they didn't get what they wanted, and they didn't get all the things God had promised them initially, they murmured and complained against God, and what happened to them? They all perished in the wilderness, lost as a goose. Lost as a goose. And Paul uses that as a warning to all of us. You know, think about what an insult it must be to God when we try to make him into a little genie we carry around in our pockets to do our bidding, to grant our wishes. Look, as much as anybody in the world, I want to be 
spiritually blessed and I want to be materially blessed. But as I said earlier, all of us should be growing to a point where we want the Lord more than we want what he gives us. Where we want to serve him for who he is, our creator, our savior, our master, and our Lord, and not our God of convenience. He won't have it that way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the lessons and the metaphors and the warnings that you give us so that each and every one of us will look at these texts and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, I feel that just about everybody in this room is saved. And, and Lord, but there's someone here who sees God as nothing more than a God of convenience. And I ask today that you convict them that they're on the road to perdition without repentance, Lord. For all of us, Lord, that, that tend to murmur and complain and use you to get the things we want and forget about serving you, Lord, I ask you to convict each and every one of your believers here today that life is a lot more about serving ourselves. It's about serving you and serving others. Show us where we can serve, Lord. Show us where we can be a blessing to others and Fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the power to be the people that you've called us to be. Just ask all of that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.